Welcome to the My Buddy Green podcast. I'm Jason Wachab, founder and co-CEO of My Buddy Green, and your host. Eileen Laird is an author, podcast host, and autoimmune warrior, living a vital life with rheumatoid arthritis. She's reached millions of people through her popular website and podcast, Phoenix Helix, and is the author of Healing Mindset a guide to the mind-body connection for people with autoimmune disease. Eileen, welcome. Thank you. It's a real pleasure to be here. It's great to have you, and you have a pretty powerful personal story, uh, which inspired this you know, healing mindset, I think, book, and the way you live your life and everything you do. So let's start there, your healing mindset story. Sure. So it was about 10 years ago, and I was living a healthy and happy life. (laughs) I was living in the mountains of North Carolina, where I am now. I did a lot of hiking on the weekends for fun. I was working full-time as a massage therapist, which is a pretty demanding job, Um, happily married. So I didn't have any trauma that triggered autoimmune disease for me. I know for some people that is the case. And I just woke up one day with a strange symptom um, in the toe of one foot, and within a few months, I was disabled. So they call that rapid and severe onset of rheumatoid arthritis. Um, At my rock bottom, I was limping, crossing my living room. You know, hiking was off the table. Walking was off the table. I didn't have the strength in my hands to wash dishes anymore, never mind work. Um, It was terrifying. I cried every day. (laughs) Um, It was uh, a level of pain I had never experienced. So I was 43. Obviously, I'd had pain in my life, but I felt like it deserved its own word because it was so overwhelming, so excruciating. It made me gasp. Um, And it was, I'd wake up in the morning feeling about 90, and that was the good part of my day. And then every night, um, there would be an autoimmune flare, and I called it flare Russian roulette. It moved around my body. So if it was my wrist, I had to put it into a brace. If it was my shoulder, it went into a sling. If it was my knee, I had to get off my feet for the night. And then the worst for me is if it hit my jaw because I couldn't open my mouth. And there's something very primal about that feeling because you can't, um, you can still breathe and talk, but you can't really eat. And yeah, it was, it was bad. Um, So I was looking for a symbol of hope. And that's when I thought of the phoenix and the bird rising from the ashes. And I clung to that image hoping that this wasn't going to be my life going forward and that I would find a way through. I would say it was the first time in my life I had an experience so hard I didn't know if I could survive it. And I know that sounds kind of melodramatic in a lot of ways, but I think for anyone listening who's had a health crisis, they know they know what I'm talking about. So, um, so I did a lot of things. I, I looked at changing my diet. I looked at changing my lifestyle. And then I also opened up to mindset. And that became important to me for two reasons. One was to be able to see a world outside of my pain. Um, And the other was to be able to improve my health if I could through maybe a less inflammatory response to the experience that I was having. So, um, So for example, before that, I had heard about things like meditation and a gratitude practice, and I thought they sounded like great ideas, but they were never anything I could really stick with. And I think it was one of those things when life was good, I wasn't highly inspired to make it better. And then when life was really hard, those very same practices that were hard for me to do before became a gift in my life. Um, when I was managing that level of pain and managing that level of uncertainty, they calmed me down and expanded my perspective in a way that nothing else could. So I fell in love with the mind-body connection from that point forward. Wow. So it sounds like you were pretty healthy beforehand too. Is that safe to assume? With the exception, you know, you were, you were eating well, you were doing the right things, you're a massage therapist, like, so, so you're kind of you know, doing all the right things, but maybe didn't have a, it sounds like you didn't have a meditation practice, a gratitude practice, and weren't as focused. I think the reason why I'm pointing this out, because I think we all fall into this, um, did maybe spend a lot of time on, on the mind, if you will. Yeah. Yeah. I would say my mind tipped in a positive direction kind of naturally. Um, and then when I was in the middle of when my body changed dramatically, so did my mind. I mean, I think when you're in excruciating pain, 
it's a mental experience, not just a physical one for two reasons. Um, the mind-body connection, of course, if you have inflammation in your body, you have inflammation in your brain. And so that also, just from a physiological perspective, adds to the challenge. But pain is awful. <laughs> I know you've had your experience with that. And so I think it's really natural for fear and grief and anger to kind of swirl um, surrounding that experience. And then the the unexpected or um, unfortunate side effect when that happens is that can increase the inflammation even more. And it, it's a vicious cycle. And it, it's completely understandable. We've all been there. Uh, very easy to have a spiritual practice, very easy to be in a great mood, sleep well, eat well when everything's going great. Very, well, let's say very easy, much easier than when things aren't going so great and then you're stressed and then that affects your sleep. And then when you're not sleeping well, your diet's probably going to go off and it just becomes this really bad cycle that's, that's tough to break. Uh, so with that said, walk me through, you know, hitting that, that, it sounds like you hit rock bottom pretty quickly when you're talking about not opening your, you know, being able to open your jaw without severe pain to eat, that, that sound that, that's, that's bad. Walk, walk us through the, the, the healing process and, and the duration of how long it took to go from there to getting to a place where you said, you know what, I'm, I'm feeling okay. I, I'm, I'm coming out of this. I, I feel good. How long was that process? And walk us through some of the things you did to get there in terms of diet and then mindset. Because I also want to talk about the diet component too. Sure, sure. Um, and let me say to anyone watching too, with the book, that uh, The Healing Mindset, I didn't talk about diet a lot because I, I know everyone's very passionate about the diet they have. And I didn't want anyone to feel excluded from that book. So that really is all about the mind-body connection, specifically for people with autoimmune disease. But yeah, so for me, um, the paleo autoimmune protocol was the diet that really helped me. Um, so the process, as I was, I would say for six months, my inflammation kept getting worse and my fear kept getting worse. And then when I I think hitting rock bottom for me was what um, made me realize this wasn't going to get better on its own. <laughs> I really needed to make make some changes. And so I started, I tried a few different things. I did try vegetarianism and veganism first, and I continued to get worse. And then it was ironically a vegetarian friend who told me about a paleo style diet that her mother had done for IBD, and it was really helpful. And so I started with that, like a version of it is called um, the GAPS diet, if you've talked about that in this podcast before. And that was the first, when I shifted to that, that was when I felt the inflammation kind of neutralize and then slowly descend. So I'd say for six months, it was going up, up, up. And then when I shifted to that diet, it started going down, not dramatically, not overnight, but it started improving. And I did that alongside, um, paying attention to the mind-body connection. I incorporated a meditation practice. I did try to prioritize sleep, but when you're in that much pain, it's really hard to sleep. So I needed the pain to get better before my sleep could really get better, but I gave myself the opportunity to sleep. I wasn't trying to avoid sleep and trying to make myself as comfortable as possible to sleep. And then I did the GAPS diet for about five months and kind of plateaued in my healing. And that's when I was ready, I would say, to do the paleo autoimmune protocol. I had heard about it five months before. It's not an easy thing to do. I was hoping I wouldn't have to go that strict. It's an elimination diet for anyone who's not familiar with it. And that part's not permanent. And I think I didn't know that in the beginning. I thought, gosh, you can't eat anything for the rest of your life if you're doing the paleo autoimmune protocol. But um, the elimination diet helped me identify the remaining food intolerances and really, really dramatically reduced my flares. And so I would say from rock bottom to reclaiming a lot of my health was maybe nine months to a year later of dietary and lifestyle changes. And then, um, you know, and it wasn't perfect, but it was significantly better. Like how I would describe it is it went, um, my pain went from a scream down to a whisper. And I was incredibly grateful for that. So be before we come back to mindset because that's where I want to spend most of our time today. I do want to just talk about diet for a moment. For those who are unfamiliar, could you briefly summarize 
gaps and then the paleo autoimmune protocol to give people an idea of what both entail? Sure. So the GAPS diet is really a low starch diet focused on gut healing. And they have an introductory diet and a full diet. And so you kind of go to, um, if I remember, it was 10 years ago now, but you go to you really pulling a lot of things out of your diet that require any digestive strength at all. And so you're almost just doing broths and um, very well cooked, low fiber, low starch vegetables during the introduction or the, yeah, the introductory diet. And then you slowly increase back up, but your diet stays low starch. And because it's low starch, a lot of, um, it's definitely gluten-free. And then a lot of grains are off the table. I'm trying to think if there's any grains in that diet at all. I think it's hundred percent grain-free. Most of the legumes are off the table. So it's very close to paleo, but it's also low starch. So there's no sweet potatoes, no cassava, um, none of the high starch vegetables that a lot of paleo people eat. So that's the GAPS diet. And then the paleo autoimmune protocol removes certain foods that can be inflammation triggers for people with autoimmune disease for a minimum of 30 days. And then when your symptoms improve, you reintroduce them one at a time to see how your body responds. So it starts with a paleo template. So it's grain-free, legume-free, processed food-free, um, refined sugar-free, um, refined oil free. And then it also removes, if no one's heard of this, it's going to sound extreme. It removes nightshades, which are potatoes, tomatoes, peppers, eggplants. Um, it removes nuts and seeds, and that includes coffee and chocolate. It removes seed-based spices even. It's pretty intense. Um, and I'm trying to think of what eggs. It removes eggs. And then all dairy. And strict paleo tends to be dairy-free, but a lot of people you know, everyone personalizes their diet as they should. So in the elimination phase of the AIP, there's a lot, a lot removed. And, um, and then once you start to feel better, you test one of those at a time and see, are you going to have an inflammatory reaction? So for me, I was able to reintroduce eggs with no problem, which was wonderful because that's a very convenient food. Um, chocolate, which I love. I was able to reintroduce homemade chocolates, but I found out that at that point anyway, nightshades were a very high inflammation trigger for me, and so was dairy. And so realizing those two things were really key for me going forward. And then over time, again, that's been 10 years ago now, um, the goal is to con continue to heal and your diet to continue to expand in whatever way that can still support your health. But I'm a big believer in eating as wide a variety of foods as you can, as high a quality as you can afford um, for the healthiest diet for your mind and your body. And, and now I still eat pretty um, close to paleo at home, but I have a lot more food freedom when I'm traveling and, and so forth. And then the other thing I should just mention for our, your listeners too, so medication did end up becoming part of my journey too with RA. So in the beginning, I was hoping to avoid it. I do have a really severe form. And so I avoided it for a few years and then damage started happening to my body in spite of my best efforts. That was a difficult decision. I used a lot of mind body techniques to help me with that one. And it ended up being a good decision for me. So I have an integrative medicine approach now for myself where it's, I call it, it's um, diet, lifestyle, mindset, and medication. And that's what helps me feel my best. Sure. You're not alone. Ter Terry Walls, who we've had on this show, uh, similar story with MS, uh, really took an extreme diet, which, and, and protocol, which became the walls protocol and also used medication and it worked. Uh, and I think those things, medication and diet lifestyle are not mutually exclusive. Yeah. I think a lot of us think that in the beginning, we, we think we're, we have one choice or the other. And, um, and some people, if you don't need medicine, that's wonderful. So, um, that's, and then for people who only take medicine and don't think they can do anything, you know, that's kind of a shame. Yes. Uh, so that is very helpful with regards to diet. Not surprising. We've had, we've talked about autoimmune with, with a lot of people on this show and protocol seems very similar in terms of uh, more of a grain-free paleo diet that seems to work. Coming back to the mind-body connection. Look, we're, we're mind-body green. One word, not three. It's all connected. And, and with that said, I thought it was so interesting in your book, you have a chapter titled the three myths of the mind body connection. So let's, let's talk through some of those myths. Yes. And I'll be curious if you agree with me about those three myths. I'm going to guess you do. 
Um, the first one would be that it's all in your head. So I think a lot of people who have any type of chronic illness that's difficult to diagnose, they've been told that by somebody, um, often by multiple doctors and sometimes by family members and friends who, if the doctor doesn't give you a seal of approval that there's something wrong with you, then it must be all in your head. And so um, the first myth is that the mind-body connection is only the mind. The body is real too. Physical symptoms are real as well. And just because there's a mind-body connection doesn't mean there's nothing wrong physically that also needs support and needs to be able to be addressed. I do have rheumatoid arthritis. It is a physical, a physical condition. Um, the second myth I would say is the opposite of that. And that would be that it doesn't exist. So someone who has been told it's all in their head and has had to fight to have people believe there's anything wrong with their body might go become quite defensive about the idea of a mind-body connection at all, and therefore think that they can ignore mindset when it comes to their health and that nothing going on in their mind is going to impact their body. And that's just not true. There's a whole field of science now called psychoneuroimmunology that can really demonstrate how our thoughts and feelings impact our immune system and our nervous system, um, both immediately and over time. So it does exist. <laughs> and then the third one is that it can cure everything. And I will say this compassionately. Um, I came to, I think, a healing diet and lifestyle, mind, body, green, hoping to cure myself because wouldn't that be wonderful? Um, and I think a lot of people have that hope. And I think some people who are maybe less ethical promise that. So you can find places online or you can find doctors who will say, I'll cure you. And then people will do anything they say and spend so much money. And then if it doesn't happen, which it usually doesn't, they feel like a failure, like there's something wrong. Like what's wrong with me that 10 years later with everything I've done that I still have rheumatoid arthritis. So part of my journey has really um, been coming to peace with that. I would say I, I surrendered to that maybe two years into my healing journey. And that was so healthy for me. And it didn't stop any of the lifestyle changes I had made. It just made me a much happier, self-compassionate person. So I would say those are the three myths that it's all in your head that it doesn't exist, and that it can cure everything. But even if it can't cure everything, I should say to anyone listening, it, it's so potent. It's so powerful. Like the next chapter is the 10 benefits of the mind-body connection. It's just, um, it's amazing. Yeah, I, I, I loved your book, and I have a lot of thoughts about what, what you just articulated so clearly. Um, you know, specifically to the, the power of mind, um, you know, I'll provide a, a real world example for me that happened about nine months ago. Um, a, a dear friend of mine who I played basketball with in college was diagnosed with colon cancer. And I, 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 I like rarely log into Facebook. I logged in and I saw this. I was like, oh my God, oh, like what, what, what happened? And he encourages everyone to, to get a colonoscopy. He's, I think, 48 at the time, I'm 46 at the time, you're we supposed to get it after 45. And one of, I, I picked up the phone, I call him, how are you doing? He, he feels good. He's, you know, going through, through chemo, doing all the necessary treatments, taking care of his diet and so forth. And I said, well, how, how did you know what, what, what was going on? And he said that the tip off was his iron levels drop significantly. And I get extensive blood work a couple of times a year and I had just gotten my blood work and my iron levels had dropped significantly. And I was like, Oh my God, like, is this, is this, am I at risk here? Is this a sign? Um, and I have a amazing medical team and, you know, I got a Frank Lippin functional medicine doctor and a couple of doctors around him, Giovanni and Scott are all part of his team. And, their feedback was you need to go to a colonoscopy to, to rule this out um, because of the, the iron drug, because it's a, it's a sign that I know other symptoms. And so in the lead up for like the couple of weeks where I had to get the colonoscopy, I was so unlike myself. I was like a mess. I was so worried. I started to like experience 
like GI symptoms in my, in my stomach where I was like, maybe something is wrong. And, and I go do the colonoscopy and I, I did an endoscopy too. I'm just like, we're doing everything. I'm completely clean. I got nothing. But through that period, I was, I was saying, wow, like what a, what a teaching moment for me where, and, and my iron drop is just unexplainable and it went back up. And, and look, I think it also speaks to bloods and lab work and sometimes just things are off and there's no explanation to the science. Like some things, things are just off and there's no explanation. But boy, was I a wreck. And, and for someone who's pretty optimistic and pretty tuned in, I just completely, my mother and my wife were like, you are so unlike yourself. This is not you. Like you're letting this thing control you. And I, and I had symptoms. So it was like, wow, you speak like, wow, I, I really witnessed what one can do with their mind. Uh, I spiraled. Oh, I think everyone listening can relate to that moment. And it brings up another thing I try and really stress in the book. And I'll say too, is there's no perfection when it comes to the mind body connection. It's not that we stop being human, right? So like you, <laughs> the founder of mind body green, right? A lot of people might think that would never happen to you, that you would never spiral. But I mean, some things just hit us. And even with all of the tools at our disposal, we have challenging times. Um, I think the more we know about these techniques and the more we practice them, the more available they are to us under times of stress. But at the same time, just being really kind to ourselves and knowing, yeah, it's not putting ourselves on a pedestal or anyone else doing that to us either. We're on the ground just like everybody else, <laughs> trying to do our best and be as healthy as we can. But yeah, spiraling is hard. Yeah, it could happen to anyone. I never remember too. I, I'll share one more detail. I'm, I'm going in for the colonoscopy and it's like, you know, 7 a.m., 8 a.m. And it's like so delayed. I'm like waiting there for like three hours. And by the time they're ready to go, they take your blood pressure. My blood pressure was like through the roof. And I have totally normal, healthy blood pressure. I'm just like, the, guy, the guys I said to the, the the nurse, I was like, well, yeah, I know why I'm, I'm nervous about this and I'm waiting here for three hours ready to go in. Uh, but at any rate, so moving on, you, you know, you talk about this idea that, you know, it's in your head, it's our fault. And to some degree, I think this happens a lot in holistic medicine. I think there are a lot of charlatans out there. And I also think there's a school of thought and I have very mixed, mixed emotions about this. Louise Hay. You can heal your life. An icon, an angel in so many ways. It's done so much good in the world. That book had a transformative effect on how I view health and wellness, but I also struggle with it. Um, and the reason I struggle with it is this idea that, you know, on one hand, your thoughts are everything. Every ailment is tied to trauma or a mindset or anger or, or something that you can, you can heal your life through affirmations, through inner work. So on one hand, it's empowering. On the other hand, there, there's a weight that goes along with that. And not everything in there is true. There are sometimes I've gone to that book where I'm like, where, you know, I lower back pain when I had lower back pain and it was I had pretty ba bad back pain. I had extruded discs. It was a big part of the mind body green story, which I've talked about extensively on the show. I was really worried about finances. And if you, <laughs> there's, there's a direct tie there and, and not being grounded. Um, and then there are other times I've looked in that book where oh, yeah, this doesn't really make sense. <laughs> and so how do you think about maybe Louise Hay specifically, or this idea on one hand, mindset affirmations are powerful, and there's a lot there in, in dealing with trauma. You know, great book, The Body Keeps Score. You know, the trauma is there, and that you do have the power to turn everything around. Your mindset is more powerful than we know, but at the same time, there's this there's this weight, there's this burden, and sometimes things happen. How do you, how do you, I know it's a lot to process. How do you think about all of that? I struggle with it. Yeah, I probably take kind of a middle road approach. Um, meaning that like when you, that when I hear the sentence, you can heal your life, maybe that doesn't mean you can cure everything. You know, maybe it means that today I can approach my life in a healing way. 
in whatever way that may be in, in how I'm living and how I'm being and how I'm thinking in the mind body techniques I'm practicing and the food I'm eating. Um, but also I think in a really that the, I think there's a process in the beginning, you can be quite perfectionistic about it and, and you want that cure maybe. And some things can be healed with the mind. Some small things I think can be healed with the mind, maybe even some big things, but there are some things that can't be cured and you can easily spiral into a comparison trap. You can be like, well, you know, um, with cancer, like why is this person li living and why is this person gone, you know, after a cancer diagnosis? And I simply do not believe it's that one person was more enlightened than the other. <laughs> I just think, um, I've known people who have survived cancer who are very unenlightened. And I've known people who have survived cancer who were like these little bodhisattvas, you know, walking the earth. So I think maybe not look at it in a binary way. Um, and so instead it's, and maybe I have more of a Buddhist perspective, just meeting the moment wherever it is. Um, it's not that I, I call myself a Buddhist from a religion perspective, but I really admire a lot of that meeting whatever moment you are in with acceptance and that that's not surrender, that from that moment you can best determine what you need and what's possible that day. So, um, and, and I agree with you. Like, I think I even maybe mentioned there's a podcast or there's a chapter in the book on affirmations where I talk about that some. And I think I do mention Louise Hay and the mirror technique that a lot of people do love. Um, but I also introduce a technique called affirmations that I think can be really powerful for people who struggle with affirmations. And that's where you just put what if in front of the statement. So if, for example, the affirmation is, um, I am whole in mind, body and spirit. I am worthy. I am capable. I am strong. I am healthy. And your mind just says, no, you're not. <laughs> Like everything you say, your mind just goes, nope, 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 and starts arguing with you. Affirmations can really backfire because instead you're like feeding that inner critic. Depends on your personality. Some people don't do that. They say an affirmation, they feel very soothed and held and blessed, and they feel a grace of the affirmation. But if you are someone whose inner critic gets activated, you can just add what if in front of it, and it kind of breaks through your mind's resistance and opens up possibilities. So what if I am well? Your mind might start generating the ways that you are, things that you don't think about. We tend to focus on what's wrong rather than what's right. What if I am worthy? So if you're someone who struggles with self-worth, and I think even though I'm a confident person, I think everyone maybe does in some way deep down. So if you say, what if I am worthy? That almost brings tears to my eyes, that question, it just opens up this kindness to the part of me that questions whether I am worthy. So I think what I like about the mind-body connection is there's a lot of different ways to approach it. And in the book, I have 96 techniques so people can choose the ones that work for them. And if Louise Hay resonates, then her techniques, that's wonderful. But if it doesn't, it doesn't mean something's wrong with you. And I think that... Um, a lot of the people who've um, put the cure pressure on me in my life um, either didn't have a chronic illness themselves, like had never struggled with something like rheumatoid arthritis. Um, they maybe had something that was more mind focused. Like for example, um, have you ever had anyone on to talk about, is it DNRS? And there's another one called the Gupta technique. And it's the whole idea of the brain getting trapped in a trauma state. And so, yeah, so it's, um, it's based on neuroplasticity. So if something traumatic happens, whether it's physical or emotional, the idea being your brain gets kind of wired for alarm. And so a lot of conditions that people consider mysterious with no clear diagnosis and no clear treatment would be like fibromyalgia, chronic fatigue syndrome, um, long COVID syndrome, even uh, POTS is another one of a wide variety of things. These, they have these brain retraining programs that help people when nothing else has helped. So it's interesting. And that's difficult because they have all these experiences happening in their body. So the idea that the brain can be in charge of that, you have to overcome the idea that that's 
possible. And then it's a, it's a program that people do to, to, I think it takes like, they recommend you do it every day for an hour a day for six months and, and see how you feel at the end of it. And so it's kind of intensive, but a lot of people have had dramatic improvements, which is great. Um, I don't, I've never heard of anyone with autoimmune disease cured by it. I've heard of a lot of people with fibromyalgia style struggles um, improved dramatically by it. And so I think that for me kind of maybe delineates the power of the mind-body connection. A lot of people with rheumatoid arthritis have fibromyalgia. It's not like they're mutually exclusive. So something like DNRS or any of these techniques practiced in regular life can really bring down that inflammation, really retrain the brain out of an inflammatory response into a soothed response, being able to interrupt that stress habit, you might say. Um, it can change the chemistry of your body and it can improve so many things, but you might have something that can't be a hundred percent fixed. And I'm okay. Okay with that. I would love a cure for rheumatoid arthritis. So don't get me wrong. If one comes, I'm ready for it. Um, but I've just come a long way from making that my goal. Um, it didn't help me when I made it my goal. I just felt like a failure too much. And I felt like I had to be perfect all the time. And no one can. Uh, on that note, to me, it's been extraordinarily powerful in my own personal healing journey. Uh, and granted, I didn't have RA. I, I had just excruciating back pain, two extruded discs, letting go. Like this idea of, okay, I'm going to set the goal. I'm going to do all the things. And then I'm just going to let go. And I think you come back, I'll bring it back to every major religion or spiritual practice incorporates this idea of letting go. AA, not a, not a religion, not a spiritual practice, letting go. What do you think is so powerful about letting, having a goal, but also not being attached to it? It's such a subtle but important thing because it's how you're approaching your goal. Um, because it feels 100% different to do all of the things you described that you did for your health and all the things I described that I do for my health, where my goal is to just support and love myself as best I can on a daily basis. That's a very beautiful, almost relaxed approach, even though there's a lot of effort involved in it. But if the goal is attached to an outcome, like the, I think the body just tenses up against that because you're constantly wanting something. You're not accepting the moment where you are. You're wanting something completely different. You have this weight you're carrying trying to make something happen, um, force an outcome. And frankly, that's inflammatory. <laughs> that's the, that's the trick with the mind body connection. I mean, th with that, that pressure we put on ourselves can increase inflammation in the body. And if our whole goal is to reduce inflammation, if that's the root cause of almost everything, where can we find a way to approach Mind Body Green, a healing lifestyle with a healing mindset that allows whatever happens to unfold? And, and I also think there's something to, there's a real gift in being able to be in something hard and getting to a point where it's not as hard as it used to be. Like I was thinking, um, like when I described rock bottom for me, and I wouldn't want to go back to that, that was out of control inflammation. But I still, I, I, I'm in remission a lot of the time now, and I'm incredibly grateful for that. But that doesn't mean I never flare. And when a flare comes, it can trigger some of those old fears and memories and feelings. But I have enough experience now, and I have enough techniques now that I can calm myself during a flare and not judge myself during a flare in a way that's very different from 10 years ago. So there can also almost be like a feeling of deep beauty when I can love myself unconditionally when I'm in pain. Whereas I think in the past, I loved myself conditionally. I think I loved myself best when I felt best. And when I didn't feel great, what did I do wrong? I think that's tremendous perspective. And I also think in our wellness world, I love our wellness world. I love all the, the, the great people doing great work that there's this silent judgment often when someone is dealing with something 
uh, sometimes it's actually not silent. People will say, oh, well, well, that person, you know, they must be really angry or they must be, you know, have some real trauma there or, you know, they're probably eating uh, uh, too many nightshades or they're not in a low fi They probably have SIBO. I remember someone said to my wife uh, when she was pregnant with her first child, like, you look, you, you know, I think you might have SIBO. You look like a little puffy. And my wife didn't say anything, she, but she it was actually in the early stages of pregnancy. Uh, <laughs> So, you know, coming back to, to thoughts, you know, our, our thoughts are everything. We have, God knows how many thoughts a day. Um, something you talk about in the book I thought was so interesting, negativity bias. How, can you explain how our negativity bias, what that looks like, how it comes to life? And to me, it's, it's sneaky for many of us. Yeah. Well, I think in a nutshell, we notice what's wrong more than we notice what's right. And I think our brain is trying to keep us alive and protect us. So it's constantly scanning for dangers. And if things are good, there's no danger there. So it doesn't really take that into account. And that's great that our brain keeps us alive and it needs to, right? But um, we lose a lot from that bias. We can overcome it, but it takes effort. So that's part of what I think is a healing mindset is trying to overcome it. So things like a gratitude practice, which is can be very simple, is a way to literally rewire your brain to look for good things as well. It won't stop looking for dangers, but it will start looking for what's good in the world. And I know, again, when I was, it's part of, I've had a gratitude practice for 10 years now, started at rock bottom when I needed to see a world outside of my pain. And it was such a simple thing, just thinking of three things every night before bed that were positive that day, that were beautiful to me. That's it. That, that, that's it. That, that's, that sounds totally doable for everyone listening. Yeah, it was. And it shifted. I really did feel like pain was my entire world before I did that practice. And then I was able to see that even when I'm in pain, there are things that are incredible in my life beyond that pain. And then that calms the nervous system reduces the inflammation and helps soothe the pain. So, so that's one, um, one small example, but, but yeah, I think that that spiraling, like you, you were doing when you, your friend had the colon cancer and you worried you did too, your brain was focused uh, spinning worst case scenarios, I'm guessing in your head. And yeah, it's so good at that. <laughs> and so I think, um, questioning our thoughts is a huge part of the mind body connection. And there are so many, um, you know, experts who talk about that, but I do have a chapter in the book called Don't Believe Everything You Think with simple and more complicated ways to question your thoughts. But one of the simplest one is to just say, is that useful? And sometimes that will stop a negative spiral in its track. If it doesn't, I think the next thing that has helped me is I'll ask my mind a helpful question. So let me use like an autoimmune flare as an example. If I go, even after all this time with all of the practice I've had, and like I said, I can reach a moment of being surrendering during a flare in a loving, compassionate way. It's not immediate and it's not always 24 seven feeling that peace, you know, when I'm in pain, obviously. So instead, like the first time I have a flare, my mind will go, oh, this is never going to end. There's that pain again. What damage is happening to your body right now? What did you do to cause it? It, it? it starts saying a lot of unhelpful things. And so if I shift it and I ask my mind, okay, so I'm in a flare. You're right. You've identified that correctly. Play me a movie in my mind instead of worst case scenarios. Remind me of every single flare that's passed in the past 10 years. Remind me that I've actually never had a flare not pass. That, and so when you say it won't pass, that would be new. <laughs> um, and then I'll say to my mind, you know, what helped me in the past um, for flares to pass more quickly? What nurtured me through that process and what made it worse? Remind me what I can do to be kind to myself today. And I find my mind likes to answer those questions. It's just we don't ask our mind that question that often. And so the mind has to be interrupted because its default is negative. And so it needs to be interrupted and redirected and retrained um, to balance that with a more positive approach. So it sounds like gratitude 
had a profound impact in terms of developing the healing mindset that you needed to heal. And I'm curious, of all the tools, the practices you've listed in the book, next to developing a gratitude practice, what other two do you think had the most impact for you? Meditation was huge. So prior to rheumatoid arthritis, I tried to meditate and I felt like I was being tortured by it. Um, And I think that's because I also didn't understand it really. Like I was one of the many people who thought meditation is sitting still and not thinking. And really no one can do that. So I just thought I was bad at it and and that's not very fun. Um, But there are so many different ways to meditate. So in the beginning, guided meditations were really healing for me. And there was a CD by Jack Kornfield called Lamp in the Darkness, Guided Meditations for Difficult Times. And I would listen to that every night um, during the peak of my flare. And And I felt my whole body calm down just from that redirecting away from the pain spiral. I was still in pain at the end of the meditation, um, but I was no longer, my mind was not, my mind was calm, if that makes sense. So that changed meditation from being something that felt like torture to being something that felt like medicine. So that was very dramatic for me. And then from that point forward, it stayed part of my life. I've done, I've gone periods where it's every day. I'm in a period right now where it's every day. I've had periods where it's not every day, but there's, it's a thread, you know, it's at least a few days a week. The practice has changed. I like silence and sitting still now. I didn't back then. Um, Walking meditation is really nice too. I love body scan when you have an illness that impacts your body. That can be a really powerful way to reconnect with your body um, in a safe and loving way and remind yourself that while your mind will say, there is no cell in my body that is not in excruciating pain, that's really not true for most people. Even, even at rock bottom for me, that wasn't true. And so a body scan helps you find the places in your body where you're not in pain and, again, remind you in another way that you're not in pain. So, so yeah, meditation has been huge. And I think meditation trains you to notice your thoughts without following them. I mean, I think that's really the basis for meditation is it's not not thinking. It's instead when thoughts come up, letting them pass through without chasing them like a dog on a leash. So um, that bleeds into daily life. So I am more likely after 10 years of practicing meditation to catch my mind when it's being unhelpful. And so it's less unconscious than it was before. So the third thing would be questioning thoughts. So, um, when a thought is unhelpful, the first step I have to do is notice it's there and then, yeah, um, try and stop it. And the Byron Katie technique was transformative for me. Have you had her on or we, wow, Byron Katie, I think we had her on 20, well, we, a couple of years ago, it was a lot three or four years ago. She, she's a legend, but walk us through the technique if you can. Yeah. So like I had said, the first thing is. I'd say the simplest thing to do first is, is it useful? Sometimes that's not enough to stop an unhelpful thought. The other is to ask your mind a helpful question. But if you're still spiraling and the mind won't let go, what Byron Katie has a technique called the work and and she recommends doing it in writing because it uses a different part of your brain and helps break through um, the brain's resistance. And basically you're asking yourself four questions and then there's a turnaround. So the first question is, is it true? And your brain will say yes. usually. And then you say, is it really true? Is it really true? And sometimes then your brain's like, eh, maybe not. It just kind of loosens that hold a little bit. And, um, and then it's, how do you feel when you think that thought? And you tune into your body. Where's the tension arising? Where's, is it that rapid heartbeat, that high blood pressure, the, the tension, the pain? Um, what does it feel like in your body and what impulses do you have? Like, do you suddenly want a drink or a drug or some sugar or to escape in some way? Um, Do you want to lash out? You know, what behavior is that thought triggering? And then the fourth question is, how would I feel without this thought? And so it just kind of opens up a lot of space around the thought and makes you realize you are more than your thoughts, but your thoughts have an impact. And then the final step for her, the turnarounds, and that's where you are you write down the ways that thought is not true. 
And that's the most powerful part and the hardest part. She has a lot of great videos guiding people through, which I think is helpful if you've never done it before. So you can kind of see a master in action <laughs> because she'll be, uh, she has videos talking with people and their mind is convinced it's true. There is no possible turnaround. And by the end of it, they feel transformed. Um, I'll give one example for me that's not autoimmune, but it was really powerful. My mother, um, she has since passed away, but she was in, she ended up in a wheelchair for the past 10 years of her life. And when she first ended up in a wheelchair, I was very stressed out about her ability to stay independent. And um, I saw her as disabled. That was the thought. And by the end of the Byron Katie technique, I realized all the ways she was capable. And it was, it changed in a really good way. <laughs> my relationship with my mother for the next 10 years, because she didn't see herself as disabled. And as her daughter, if I kept interacting with her in that way, um, the conflict would have been out of control and it wouldn't have been helpful. So yeah, it's a really powerful technique. It, it is. And I, I'm now reminiscing about Byron Katie. Um, when we had her on the show, this was pre-COVID. I think it was 17 or 18. We'll put the episode in the show notes. But it was back when we only did podcast interviews in person at our office in Brooklyn. We, we, and now we're, we, and she had such a tremendous, almost angelic presence. Uh, just, just such positive energy uh, and just one of those human beings is just special when you're around her she just they're, they're, you feel different in, in a good way uh, so I'm glad you, you referenced her um, so you have a tremendous personal story and you also did a ton of research in, in your own healing journey and writing the book and I'm curious what was the most surprising study or research you came across when you really started to dive in to discover the power of, of developing a healing mindset and, and where is, is science catching up there? Yeah, science is definitely catching up. I mean, there really are thousands of studies now. And I think there's maybe a lot of funding for the studies now that people are really fascinated by them. So I think I, my, my approach to the book, um, so there's 140 scientific references, but it's not a textbook for anyone listening. It's very much a guidebook written like a conversation you can dip in and out of. It's meant to be practical, non-intimidating with brain fog in mind, because a lot of people with autoimmune disease have brain fog. But if you are a science geek like I am and love the research, I wanted footnotes so you could dive in deeper. And I, I looked for a lot of studies that maybe expected to find them on how it improved symptoms and lives for people with autoimmune disease, which is wonderful because that's the practical end game, right? That if, okay, for example, someone with, um, they did a study of guided imagery for people with IBD, so um, Crohn's disease and ulcerative colitis. And at the end of the study, of course, you would expect anxiety and depression to improve, but their pain levels improved as well and their um, symptoms went down. So that's the practical that I wanted. But looking under the hood of the body, I think is really fascinating. So meditation um, reduces C-reactive protein, which is a marker of inflammation in the blood. And it shifts the genes in an anti-inflammatory direction. So that's very cool. Um, and they did a study on people with RA, which I have, where it was very simple. They took blood before and after, um, telling them something funny that made them laugh. And inflammatory markers went down the same ones that are involved in our activity, IL-6 and TNF-alpha. They reduced immediately. Like that's kind of wild to me that you can do something and something changes immediately. So I've heard Donna Jackson Nakazawa, who's an author who writes about this sometimes, and she calls it um, an inflammatory versus an anti-inflammatory cascade. So when we all experience the mind-body connection, whether we like it or not, it's the stress response. It's when you get mad and your heart starts to pound and your palms start to sweat, that's the mind-body connection. Um, a healing mindset lets you tap it in the opposite direction. So it lets you, as I described when I meditated when I was in pain, feel my body calm down. And if they took my blood before and after meditation, they would have right away seen inflammatory levels go down. And so that's very powerful for me to know. So it's not like you have to be a monk for 10 years before you see benefit. I think you can see a benefit immediately, 
But then, yeah, I think over time you see it even more. There was a study with Hashimoto's. I think it was six months stress management, teaching a lot of these techniques. And again, um, of course, their quality of life improved, but their antibody levels went down. So um, it's wild. I mean, it's it's just, it's real. It's very real. <laughs> it, it, it is very real. And, you know, in closing, you know, we, we have a, a very popular series on the site called Invisible Illness, which, you know, profiles people like yourself who are, who, you know, look fine, look healthy, but maybe suffering from autoimmune or, you know, something that's, that's not really visible. And, you know, in that journey, as, as you've mentioned, it can be lonely. Sometimes, sometimes you find yourself in a doctor's office with a doctor saying it's all in your head or you're fine. Any advice for someone listening who's maybe going through their own invisible illness right now and struggling to to find the silver lining or to to find their their way or develop their their own healing mindset i would say the first step really maybe for everyone everywhere and especially someone in that position is self-compassion because i think you're going through something really hard and you're maybe not getting the support that you really need to navigate it well and to just honor that and, and say, this is hard and I will love myself through this. So starting from that perspective um, is a really beautiful foundation for everything else. And then, yes, find people who believe you. Um, and so that, and everyone has such a different experience. You might have friends and family who are supportive, which makes a huge difference. And you may not which adds a huge burden. One thing with the internet now, you really can find communities online, which are wonderful. You have to be careful where you go. So Mind Body Green would be a good one um, because you'd want people who have an empowered approach to life with chronic illness rather than um, a victim approach. And I, I don't even say that judgmentally. I think we can all slip into that sometimes. That's part of being human. But I think finding a way to focus on what's within your power instead of the things out of your power is where you find your power. And then, yeah, if you don't have a doctor who believes you yet, keep looking. Uh, and it's awful. A lot of people have to go through like a dozen doctors before finding the one who really helps. It shouldn't be like that, but don't give up. Amen. Eileen, thank you so much. Thank you. This was really fun. I, re I love talking with you.